Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Puddett. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. And Marjorie, today we are talking about the mental load of motherhood, how it weighs us down, how it's causing us to barely be able to breathe some days. That's what we're discussing. (laughs) Do I sound like a person who's in the thick of it? Elizabeth, tough day. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It's also been like... Like 95 and 90% humidity in the Twin Cities. I had a child with 104 degree fever today. We have guests coming (laughs) to stay with us, which I'm beside myself excited to have them. But I was really hoping our kitchen was going to be further along than it is for their arrival. So there's a little bit of disappointment there. And, um, you know, it's just like feeling a little bit heavy. It's feeling like a little bit of weight. That's just what's going on. That's the load. You sort of have a confluence of a lot of big stressors all at once. But for me, right off the bat, a child with a fever was one of those was one of those motherhood things that would send me into great anxiety yeah. because it's they just get so limp and they look so helpless and it just pushes the stress level. And then you're in that balance of like, do I go to urgent care? Do I not go to urgent care? And then sometimes I would call the pediatrician. The pediatrician would say, oh, no, 103, you're fine. And then you look at your little child and you're like, oh, it doesn't feel fine. I need to get there. And then the stress just keeps going up and up and up from there. From the mother standpoint, and often my husband would be totally calm and it wouldn't be affecting him <laughs> the same way. I turned around on my way to an appearance tonight. I was on my way to an event for the TV show and I was almost there and I had to go way out to a suburb that was far in the rain. And then Jay called and said, it's, it's 103.9. And I said, okay, I'm turning around. And he said, no, I can handle it. And I knew he could handle it. It was just that I knew that I wouldn't be able to handle it, that I couldn't go and chat with people and be my best self when I knew that my child needed me. So I turned around and that's, you know, and then it, what it does is it also sets off then this negotiation that has to go on for the next couple of days, because for us, then our child can't go to daycare the next day. Right. You know, if she's sick, she obviously has to stay home, but sometimes she's not that sick. And it's just, we have to figure out, okay, well, who's staying home for this? Who's going? Whose day is more important? And you have to like make your case whose job is more important. And that's not a great feeling in your relationship to have to go, no, me, I need to go. No, me, you know? It's not a great feeling when you both just love your child and you want to do right by your child and you want to make sure that they're well and healthy and all of those good things. But these other things have to come into play. These other negotiations have to come into play. So it actually raises the tension level about something else that isn't really the issue. And that's always the hard part, I think, 
any time when you've got two working parents and a sick child. And you can understand, and I'm sure there are times, Elizabeth, when you look at other co-workers who have spouses at home and you think, God, that would be wonderful. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, 100%. Or if you have a job, everybody's job is important, but yep. I also, I've got that 3 to 4.30 non-negotiable. I've got to be on the air. And yeah. if I'm not on the air, it's a big inconvenience to a lot of, a lot of people. I mean, it's a lot of people that have to figure out those moving pieces of me not being there. And so there is, you know, there's some guilt that comes along with that and a real deep appreciation for what other people do to make my job happen. And so I like to try to minimize that. But when you talk about the mental load of motherhood, I think aside from those sort of emergency situations, there is just this constant attention to all sorts of things that have to be done that I do think mothers often handle and take on more than fathers. So here's an example from my life the other day. So I was in the same room that I'm in right now, recording this podcast with you, sitting in front of the computer, and I had 20 papers spread out, Marjorie, all over the floor, everywhere. And I had a calculator out and I was adding up. So Bernie had surgery a few months ago. And so the bills are all coming in, right? So I have to pay all of these bills. And I'm sitting there here in the room and I'm just paying them and getting reimbursed from our HSA and figuring out how much money we have and adding all of this up as my husband was like hanging out, lounging around. And I just here looked at him and I had like this feeling of rage come over me. Right. And I said, do you even realize what I'm doing here? I am spending and granted he was working. I mean, it was the morning the kids had been gone and I had like an hour to get this done and he was, you know, on his phone working, whatever. But I said, I am spending an hour doing this today and I am adding up all of this money and figuring this out and, and making sure the bills are right and making sure we don't need to call insurance and getting them all paid. And it's 80 different places that have billed us for this. And this is what I'm spending my time doing. And I don't even think that you know that I take on all this stuff. You don't even think about it because I just do it. Then I didn't feel that great about myself. But (laughs) he did say that he appreciated that. And he was like, I know, I know. I realize you do that. And I really appreciate it. So that made me feel better. But it still also kind of just made me mad at a couple of things. Number one, it kind of made me annoyed with him, but then it mainly made me annoyed with myself. Like, why am I taking on all this stuff? Why am I the one that's doing all this stuff? Why don't I make him do it? And see, I would say to you, therein lies a problem right there, even Mm -hmm. in the language. Yeah. So when you talk about the things mothers take on, even in you saying, why don't I make him do it? I know. That doesn't even make it any easier. And so no, that's this is not healthy. That's dysfunctional. That was a dysfunctional thing to say. But 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 it's but it's how most of us talk. And so the tricky part is why is it that way? Believe me, these are struggles that we are not alone in. And so I always felt like sometimes why am I thinking of it first? Yeah. And believe me, my husband has he's a bright guy. This isn't like I'm super quick and I'm just thinking of it. But the logistics of life, for whatever reason, I would be first on it. And so then it sort of put me in the position of me doing it or, like you said, making him do it. I know, which 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 never feels Which never feels good because then you're nagging. Yes. Or then you're or then you've become the task dispenser, which is never a good position to be in in marriage. And so I had to really look at 
and think about, is this, does this happen because I'm a control freak? Does this happen because I need to feel like everything's lined up and buttoned up? If I didn't, if I wasn't that kind of person, would he rise to the occasion? Mm-hmm. And that's a tricky place to be because if you're going to say, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to see what happens if I don't do anything. Things like Bill's and insurance and all those things, I could, I will be perfectly honest, I never released. I just did it. Yeah. Because I just, I couldn't bear the idea that a bill was going to be late or, you know, I just, it just was easier for me to just do it. Mm-hmm. And, but it, you have to, I think, sort through, why am I doing it? You know, he's an adult too. He knows that she had an operation. He knows these bills are coming in. So if you just put them on his desk... What would happen? I know. But I think for me, I could never relinquish that control on that. Where I did, and I think women have to think about this, where I did relinquish big time was the house. It's like messy. It was just going to be messy. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be the person that was always tidying up after everybody all the time. Now, was yeah. it was it dirty, dirty? No. I mean, it was not. I mean, but it was in terms of like, I wasn't going to pick up everybody's shoes every day. I wasn't going to make sure everybody's laundry was perfect every day. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to keep, I did not keep a tidy house because I felt like that's on me. They're not demanding it. They didn't. They Nobody ever said like, nobody ever looked at me to clean up. Yeah. I mean, I actually did an experiment when Ian and I were first married, Elizabeth. I always liked like a clean kitchen at the end of the night. For sure. He didn't care. So yeah, I don't care. The, and Jay wants it clean. He was just, so it was just the two of us. So me being the, you know, the headstrong 21 year old that I was, I'm like, well, screw this. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do anything and see how long it goes. It was like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so then I had to realize, okay, now I'm doing it for myself. Because clearly he doesn't care. So he's not asking and never looked at me and said, why aren't you doing that? So there was no expectation. So it's like, okay, he obviously can live with a very messy kitchen. I cannot. So I I will do I will do what I do. And then in the end, what it smoothed out, like, you know, as marriages do, he was in charge of all the cooking and I would always do the cleaning. And that was fair. You know, then it was like this. that's how it worked out. Yeah. But it's tricky. It's tricky because with those bills, what would happen if you didn't do them? It's just, you know, what I think it is, is it's not even always me being upset that I am doing it. It's it, and this is I mean, this gets even worse, probably it's being upset that there isn't an acknowledgement that I'm doing it because right. it's just not that understanding of like, I get it. Like if you feel like you're going to crack and you're going to drop a ball, it's probably because you're doing all of these things. Nothing drives me crazier, Marjorie. Well, you remember how I said that when people call their husband, their best friend, that drives me crazy. Yes. But number two <laughs> is when people say, and actually this is probably number one, this is probably higher than the best friend thing. Okay. Cause I don't care as much about the best friend thing for other people as I do about myself. Right. But I care about when women say, oh, my husband is so great. He helps so much around the house. Yeah. It makes me crazy. Yeah. It makes me crazy because um, you finish. Well, and even I mean, even my husband has said, like, how can I help you? And I have to I mean, and there's something in the language that just drives me crazy. What do you want him to say? Because I don't. Well, I don't want him to say that. I want him to say. (laughs) I think I want him to say, and it's almost the same thing, but what task can I take on? What would be easier for you if I took it on? Right. Because for me then, the helping problem is it insinuates that everything is my responsibility. Everything is me. And then if I, and if things are falling apart, it's because I'm not good enough at getting it all done. And so I need help Help. to get it done. And that is where... 
that's the a problem big deal. lies for me. And then that's it also makes me feel this is a 50-50 deal. This is not 1950 where you're making all the money and I'm sitting home and right. waiting for you with a martini and making sure that everything is perfect for you so that you can go out and make the money. I am going out and making the money and we have are an egalitarian relationship. And so I do not want it to be assumed that everything is on me. And I think sometimes because the pressure of that, of feeling like everything is on me and he's around to help would totally crush me of feeling like I had all that pressure. Yeah, it's a lot. And I think you're in an interesting situation that's different than than I was in, mostly because I tasted sort of, or I lived both worlds. There was a time, brief that it was, where I was 100% sort of a stay-at-home mom. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I worked freelance. And so I would accept jobs. But then pretty much from May to September, I wouldn't take any work. Yeah. And so I could feel both worlds. And I I will tell you, Elizabeth, that pressure of working outside the home gets to this fever, fever pitch. And I would feel I'm going to crack because I was doing that when my kids were little like yours. Yeah. And I would feel like I'm going to crack. I'm going to crack. crack. I'm going to crack. That's such a bad feeling. It's a horrible feeling. (laughs) And then summer would come because you do crack little bits along the way. It's not like you're not cracking already. They're just little cracks. But you feel like a a big crack, like a big one was coming. And so just as that would be about to happen, usually I would be a, a natural break would come. And so I know what it feels like to be that stressed out. And I think that's women have to understand that they can't we really can't do it all. And when I would get those breaks, Elizabeth, I would realize how stressed I had been all along the way, Yeah. but just maintaining. And it was only when like, I wasn't going into work and I wasn't every day for however many hours that I could start to breathe again a little bit. And then also we could enjoy the pleasure of having me home. I mean, this idea of two people working... I believe in it because I believe women sort of have to, we kind of have to make sure that this is going to be my own personal feeling, but I always felt like I kind of had to make sure I I could always take care of myself and I could take care of the kids. I feel that way too. That's just how I am. So I, but I I think we, we can't diminish the other side of that and what it means to have one of the spouses, not necessarily the woman, but somebody who is, has a little bit more brain space for the home management mm-hmm. because it is a full-time job and nobody ever talks about it that way. But managing a home well is a full-time job. And when I say managing a home, that's financial planning for your retirement. That's paying your bills. That's handling medical bills. That's yeah. keeping maintenance your Maintenance of everything. Maintenance of your house, cleaning your house, laundry. I mean, it is a full-time job. Yeah. And so as women, when we take on this idea that, yes, we're going to work full-time, yes, we want to have a career, yes, we want to do this, or yes, we just want to work. It doesn't even have to be like, oh, I have to have this great career. I just want I want a job. If you don't acknowledge that you have two full-time jobs, you do yourself a disservice. And how that gets divvied up within a marriage is so tricky. I always wanted it to be, and I'll reveal like a, a major sore point in my own marriage, especially when the kids were little, is I wanted it codified. I wanted a list. What are you doing? What am I doing? <laughs> Because I didn't like that language either of how can I help you? Because I, I agree with you. There's something subtle in the nuance of that, which I know, I know, Jay, means that in the sweetest way. You know, he's not trying to annoy you by saying that. No, no, but, no. But he doesn't, un- I think sometimes men don't understand the subtext of what that's telling us. Yeah, and he doesn't say it anymore, which is good. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you nixed that one. I haven't heard that in a long I haven't heard that in a long time. But it is it also becomes, I think, out of the mouths of other women of when it is he's praised for helping. And you're not praised for doing everything else. I mean, people can't believe my husband does drop off and pick up of the kids virtually every day. And that's his responsibility. And my responsibility is to get them ready. So he spends the half an hour in the car driving them, getting them settled, bringing them home. But I have them dressed and packed and fed before they go. And my half an hour is dedicated to that. Yeah. So it's a division of labor. So but occasionally it'll be like, oh, my gosh, that's so amazing. Your husband does drop off and pick up. And I'm like, well, yeah. And how do you respond to that? Elizabeth, what do you say? Oh, I say, yeah, because I get them all ready to go. And when he comes home, I have dinner ready to go and a food plan ready to go. That is how we divvy up the responsibilities. Right. It's not he's this amazing. I mean, he's an amazing dad. He loves our children. He is a fantastic dad, but he's not an amazing dad because he does drop off and pick up. He's a parent. Right. He is a parent who drops and picks up his kids, which is what parents do when you have kids. It's not like this out of the ordinary, extraordinary event. It's just like, I'm not an extraordinary mother for feeding my children. That's what a mother, (laughs) you know, that's what you have to do when you're a parent. Can I amend that part of it though? (laughs) I think you're an extraordinary mother for what you feed your children. Okay. Well, that might be different. Thank you. My kids went through a healthy choice phase. So let's just give you credit where credit is due. Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, listen, okay. So Marjorie, there's a study that's been haunting me that I wanted to talk to you about. Mm. And this came out earlier this spring and came out in like February or March. And I remember reading it then, and I've been thinking about it regularly ever since. And so when we wanted to talk about this topic of the mental load of mothers, which was suggested to us by a best to the nest listener, by Thank the way, you. this came out in, it's the personality and social psychology bulletin. Okay. Okay. And it's a bunch of studies that looked at gender differences in parents' happiness. Essentially, what happened was they found that there's a major happiness gap for moms that across multiple studies, and they were looking at like the way that parents interact with their children, how much they're taking care of them, what they're doing, how they feel in those moments that fathers reported greater happiness than mothers across the board. Mothers reported lower happiness when they were engaged in childcare than during during other daily activities, that there's a major happiness gap with mothers and fathers. And a lot of this, a couple of things, they're thinking that mother's greater responsibility for child rearing negatively influences our happiness, that we spend more time with our kids than fathers generally, right? and that we bear more responsibility for organizing, scheduling, and maintaining family activities. Marjorie, that's the mental load that we're talking about. Oh, yeah, it is. And that all of that invisible emotional labor can contribute to greater stress and reduced happiness among mothers. And then cultural expectations surrounding motherhood and fatherhood. So this is another example of what I was just talking about with the drop off and pick up thing. They say a father who spends time with his children is viewed as an excellent parent, but mothers do not receive the same praise for their efforts. In other words, fathers tend to get extra credit for behavior that is expected of mothers. I mean, it's real deal stuff. And fathers are generally playing more with their kids than mothers. So when the fathers are spending time with their kids, what they found in these studies is that that time is engaged in play or leisure. And mothers are spending more time with the kids, but more of it involves like the tasks of keeping them alive versus <laughs> Which, enjoying let's just, them. Let's just be honest, not so much fun. 
Not as much fun. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. And so I think when I read this study months ago and the way that it's just been sort of weighing on me is figuring out that I just fundamentally don't think it's fair that I as a woman wouldn't get to enjoy the experience of raising my children as much as their father would. And how can I fix that? Like, how can I deal with that gap in my own home, which is what we talk about here on Best to the Nest? It's got to start in your own home. You can't make this huge cultural shift unless you do it in your own house. Well, here's the thing. It's got to start in your own home and it's got to start in your brain. Mm -hmm. And so I read this study as well. And I agree with, I think it's interesting, but I also think as women and as mothers, we have to step back and think about how we can change our own thinking in how we view our homes and our responsibilities to our children and our free time with them. And I think we do have, I think we really have to think hard about what kind of mothers we want to be and what's important. Now, fathers do what fathers do. And, you know, it's hard to make these huge generalizations, but I don't think it's, I think we can all imagine, you know, the dad that comes home from work, he's going to spend 20 minutes maybe with the kids, roughhousing or doing whatever, joking around, and then go off and maybe watch TV. Yeah, and have a beer. And then... And then these kids are still there and what's left to do? Well, there's homework to be done. Who's the person that has to make sure the kids do the homework? It's often the mom. And so I think it just, it requires mothers to really clarify who am I going to be in the relationship with my husband and who am I going to be in my relationship with my kids? And I will say the one thing that Ian and I did do well with the kids, because homework's going to become a, that's really one of those non-fun things that you have to do with your kids. And it's every night. And for most kids, it's hours every night. I just so, want homework to be abolished in general. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, for another maybe episode. next week because that is a whole nother conversation. Ugh. But but here's the thing is like what's and I, I believe and I'm just going to use homework as the example because I think it speaks to this idea of who gets to have more fun with the kids. Yeah. Is when kids get to that age, it has to be a family event. And so it has to be a team effort. It can't be mom every day at the table with the kids or mom always being the one nagging the kids to do their homework and to get off the gaming system or to turn off the television. It has to be a family ethos of how this gets handled every single night and what we did in our family. And it it was made our lives so much easier. There was no television allowed pretty much Sunday night through Friday. For anybody. For and for well, we had to show prep. So but for the kids. Yeah. So it was just off limits. There was no television. And what that meant was was just we had dinner. And then it was time for homework. And because Ian and I were doing the radio show then, our homework was show prep. So everybody sort of went to their spaces to do their work. So in a weird way, the fact that we had work to do sort of from 7 till midnight, they did too. But you can see how right there, that was a family effort. So the kids didn't see like dad off watching whatever. We were watching yeah. TV, but it's such a weird job. It's hard to explain. But <laughs> but they you were knew... watching Bravo for work. Yeah, yeah, we're watching Real Housewives. But... <laughs> But they knew it was work. And I think that's one of those things that all of these things that moms take on themselves, if you make it, the team is taking it on so that they don't get to look at, you know, dad never makes me do homework. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would my head would explode. I know, because then you're automatically not the fun parent. That's the other thing. Yeah. You get looked at as the 
as the non-fun one. And right. And that's I think not that, good. This takes me back to the conversation that we had. I don't remember which episode it was with Meredith. Do you remember the part Meredith Sinclair who wrote a book about being, the book is called Well Played. And it's a, yeah. it, it's a book about having a playful family. And do you remember when she talked about the moment she realized she wasn't the fun one? Oh, yes. That was a bummer. Yeah. And she was really, and she was like, this is not fair. And instead of sort of attacking her husband and saying, you know, why do you get to be the fun one? I loved her mental shift of I'm going to be fun, too. Mm-hmm. And it required her to change how she was perceiving what had to be done. And honestly, I know this is complicated, but it, I do think there's a mental shift in how we think of our roles and how, especially in terms of how your husband is on your team, mm-hmm. not against the kids, but it's got to be a united front between you and your husband. It can't be that division because that'll burn you. You will It just totally t- will. Yeah. It totally will. When we talk about that mental load, I feel like... A lot of times, and I think probably a lot of mothers, when you're in the thick of it, especially can relate to this. I just feel like it's like a constant background noise running in my mind all the time. And it brings my stress level up. It's like my baseline stress level is higher because of that, because there's always something that I could or should be doing. Like I should always be managing something or doing something other than just relaxing or being in the moment. And even when I'm like, you know, you constantly try to bring yourself back into the moment and doing those things and enjoying the moment and letting it go. But I just feel like that mental load, I think it's wearing on us more than we than we realize. And I, I think it's leading to a lot of chronic illness with us because it's just that constant stress level. Marjorie, I cracked a tooth. I clenched my teeth so hard in the middle of the yeah. night. Now I have to have a freaking root canal. Out of because of stress. Because of stress. My dentist said on Monday, he said, I can tell from your teeth that you are very stressed. <laughs> it turns out when you have those mouth guards that uh-huh. you can't just you can't just leave them in the drawer. Yeah. You have to actually put them on them your on. mouth. In order to protect your teeth. In order to prevent yourself from cracking your teeth if you have stress and you things know, that you're not working through. <laughs> Elizabeth, I will tell you my biggest regret is that I tried to do too much and that I didn't enjoy more of the moments. Yeah. Yeah. When I look back and I, I, we had a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I had, I mean, I have so much to be grateful for, but I can think back to things that I was stressing about that I know now was such a waste of time. And it's almost cliche to say that to young moms. Cause it's like, everybody goes through this in their own way. Yeah. And it's really, it's really easy to say, Oh, you know, be in, live in the now, be in the moment. But I feel it's, I wish I could transport. I wish I could do it again. Sometimes I wish I could go back again and sit in those moments of joy and things that were supposed to be joyous longer. Well, it's instead so true. Of thinking, I mean, it's... Instead of thinking, you know, oh, I, I need to get up and go do whatever. I wish, yeah. you know, the times when we were playing Scrabble, I wasn't thinking about the 20 things I had to do for work or to get the house in order and just really enjoyed two and a half hours of Scrabble. And and it's, it's really hard to do because there's always a to-do list. I mean, one of the things, uh, honestly, it's just, I don't know how, I don't know how to tell like young mothers 
to do that because I couldn't. It's, so I don't, you, you know, know it's, yeah, it's like if only we could know what we know before we know it. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> but there's no going, there's no going back, except I think what you do that's so healthy is you check yourself and say, you're very aspirational. And I think you think more about it in the moment than I did when I had young kids. And I can only think that that's a great thing that you, yeah. you are sort of reminding yourself of, I know these are good times. I know it, but I have to let myself actually feel it. You kind of, you know, I try, I think I'm intentional about, I try to remember certain feelings. And I actually remember this from when I was a young child. This sounds so strange, Marjorie, but I remember when I was a little kid, I was probably in like second grade and then it would kind of continue. I remember saying to myself, you need to look around and remember this moment and like, Hmm. remember the people and remember how it feels to be right here because this is not, you're not going to have this forever. It's going to move on to the next thing. I think I was, and I remember thinking that I, so I have some vivid memories as a child of that really stick out that were intentional memories. Now there are lots of things I can't remember that I probably should remember that seems strange. I can imagine you thinking that because I know you. And in a, in a way, I think you're doing that as an adult by trying to really sort through why you do the things you do, why you say the things you say. Not everybody does that. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's some self-awareness that I try <laughs> to embody. But Took you me know, there along. Are, it's, it seems to me, though, I think instead of so that whole idea of being in the moment and going, yeah. OK, I have to I have to savor these moments because they're going to go so fast. I have to be in the moment. I have to be in the moment. It's sort of telling yourself to meditate. I mean, if you're yeah. a person yeah. who I mean, the idea for me of just sitting down quietly and just going, don't think about anything. You're not thinking about anything. You're just not thinking about anything is like the worst thing. Because then I think about everything versus looking at it as more of a small thing. So, for example, there are little moments that, you know, like last night, Frankie Franklin is having this two year old sleep regression thing. So he climbed. I had to go get him. He came in bed and then I turned away from him as he was sleeping next laying next to me because he was not going to sleep. And it was three thirty. And I said to him, Franklin, through my mouth guard, by the way, so I was very (laughs) Like slurring my words. Franklin, <laughs> it's 3.30 in the morning. You have to go to sleep. So that probably scared him. That scared the bejesus out of him. So yes. he was, he turned over and I turned away from him. And I think he knows that means business. Mama yeah. is turning away. You must go to sleep. And then I could feel him. He was leaning up against oh. my back and he was kissing me. And he was oh. just doing these cute little like, oh. And I just nearly died. Died. I mean, it was the cutest thing. And I try to remember little things like how their little hands feel and how the weight of them feels. Because now Bernie doesn't climb in bed and lay fully on me anymore. She's four. So she like lays next to me and curls up next to me. Franklin climbs up and lays his entire weight across the front of my body. And I know that those things, those physical things are very fleeting. And so... That's a little bit easier for me to sort of wrap my head around of just remember how this physically feels. That feels a little bit more approachable to me. Yeah, because trust me, trust me, my my children are 180 pounds. (laughs) If they lay across me, they squish me. So (laughs) They squish you. And then I think the other things that I've been trying to just 
work on with this. I mean, I do think the acknowledgement is important and reminding your partner and just saying, because it felt good for me to just say, Hey, just FYI, here's what I'm doing. Look at it. Look at what I'm doing and look at this. And it's okay that I'm doing this and I want to take this on. And this is the task that I want, but I need you to acknowledge that I'm doing this right? because that helps take the load off of me in an odd way, even though I'm still doing it. And I'm trying to automate as many things as I can so that I just don't have to make a lot of decisions. I'm even thinking I'm going to fully automate my grocery list and just have the certain things show Why up not? every week. Why not? And just Because right now I spend so much time even just looking at the app and deciding what I'm going to have delivered. And I'm just going to automate every week. This is what I get and it's done. Even if it's just automating the basics. The basics. So that if So that when you actually, you want to make something a little bit special... It feels special. And then you can add different things yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think giving yourself a break too. I mean, there are a couple things that I've fully given up. I no longer care about matching socks on Good. anyone in this house. Yes. And Amen, sister. if you are going to have a sock that matches, then you searched through your own sock bin to find the pair because you I don't what? care. Here are all of your socks and I hand them to my children and I say, put these in your sock bin. And my two-year-old puts his socks in his sock bin, but I'm not going to sit there and match the stupid things. No. I don't care. And I'm not going to wait for them to do it, just put them in the doggone bin. And if you wear mismatched <laughs> socks to school every day, I don't care. Do it. I and don't if he's care. matching his socks, he's connecting little synapses in his brain that's going to make him smarter. So it's a win-win. That's his own deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how I'm releasing it. How are you releasing it, Marjorie? You know, I think for me, especially at the period that you're in, I, I do think when I look back that really like zero to 22 with my children, there was just a sense of low-grade anxiety Yeah, through that whole period. And that, I, I look back and I think, God, that took its toll. Yeah. And I'm responsible for that. I mean, I, I take ownership of there were ways I could have managed that better. And there were things that I stressed about that I shouldn't have because there were things I cared about that I should have let go of much earlier on. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I got better as, as as they got older. But but I would, you know, when you talk about that sort of hum, I, I totally identify with that because I it just, it takes this slow toll on your sort of joie de vie. <laughs> you just don't have like the easy breeziness of life that I think all of us would like to think we have. And so I think, you know, for me, there were things that I certainly were very easy for me to let go. And I think everybody spends their money and, and prioritizes how they're going to spend their money for what can bring them some sort of ease of life. And for me, we ate out a lot. I mean, I would always total up at the end of the year what we spent, and it was a lot. And part of the way I justified that, and I was grateful that we could do it, but how I justified that is when we had two boys that were coming and going so fast. And when we would sit out at a restaurant, dinner would be an hour and a half. Yeah, see, that's great. Yeah, with no consequences for anyone. Nobody had to cook and nobody had to clean up. And we just... We just had a wonderful time of it. That's how Highland Grill in St. Paul became my second kitchen, is the waitresses knew us. It was easy. And it was, I could balance, it it brought me great joy and eased that low-grade anxiety. Everybody was getting fed. Everybody was laughing. We'd have great conversations and we could walk away. I my Some of my best memories of those kids growing up are sitting in a booth at the Highland Grill. I love um, that you look at it like that because I think a lot of people feel they're not doing enough if they're eating out. 
they're nope. not doing enough for their family and they're spending too much and they're doing this and whatever. And you having those memories of that and really embracing that as quality time, I think is really important. It was some of our best times, some of our best debates, some of our best conversations were over just that long sort of lolling about at a restaurant. Because I also found when we would eat at home, we would all eat and then get up and do our work. Yeah. We're worker bees. I mean, my older son always says that about our family. We don't know what we're doing if we're not working. <laughs> so <laughs> we're all sort of wired that way. And so it really just slowed us down. So that was one thing. And then I'll say the other thing, and this might surprise you, and I think women forget this sometimes, is that low-grade anxiety of raising a family. We forget to turn to the one person who is the most fun, which is our spouse. Mm -hmm. And one of the activities, which can be and should be the most fun, which is sex. Totally. And I think sometimes when we start to resent that our husband isn't doing enough or we start to feel like we're doing too much or we just are so tired, we forget that that is rejuvenating. And it's rejuvenating on such a foundational level for husbands and for wives. And so I think sometimes when you're super tired, do what's counterintuitive and have sex. I know. It's like, I always say it's like working out. Sometimes you just like don't feel like doing it and like getting into the clothes that you have to do, but you never are like that bummed while it's going on and you never regret it after. I love I mean, and this is all within the confines of like a consensual loving relationship that I give you. I, I mean, you... I think you can certainly regret sex <laughs> plenty of times. There are situations where you can, but right. generally like within your relationship, yeah. I, I, that's, I totally agree. I totally well, I agree. I love that you said you're not too bummed while you're doing it. But I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's truth to that, that sometimes I think women have to work themselves into it. Yes, like, like I know. It's, and so, and I think especially when you have young children, when so many demands are being made of you mentally and physically, just in terms of like your kids are hanging all over you and you just want to go sit in a corner by yourself. <laughs> yes. But I think part of, part of getting rid of that low grade anxiety and remembering why you're a family and remembering why you love this person is to just go have fun, the two of you. And, yeah, and you I think totally that, do. I think that's a, that's a really important thing for, for women to remember. And I think sometimes we forget it, but guys, so the hardest part is getting workout clothes on. The hardest part is getting naked. And then once you're in, <laughs> once you're in the appropriate attire, you're good to go, Marjorie. Good to go. You're good to go. I love it. <laughs> if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. If you have a moment, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts. From Jackie721, she says, or she writes, do you know what helps you slog through things like mowing the lawn and cleaning the house? An awesome podcast. These two women are even better than they were on the radio together. And hearing Marjorie trying to say a swear word made my day. <laughs> so she's referring to a podcast where I was reading something where there was a swear word and for me, it's very difficult to swear into a mic. I just want to be clear with Jackie. Swear words roll off my tongue like you wouldn't believe when there's not a mic in front of me. So, but I'm glad it was fun. You have that good, solid broadcast paranoia. Yes, I do. But on podcasts, we can say whatever we want. Still tough. All right. Please reach out to us, too. You can find both of us on Instagram at Best to the Nest or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We are also on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time. Until next time. Chill, everybody.